0: You are listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc.
1: Well, today we continue our series called Real Worship, where we unpack what real worship is, the kind of worship that God not only desires, but also the kind that He deserves. We've been taking a look at how God created us and crafted us to worship. In fact, we are so designed... For worship, That if we do not worship the one we were designed to worship, we will worship something else. Uh, apart from Christ, we find ourselves worshiping entertainers. We find ourselves worshiping athletes. We find ourselves worshiping a job, a career, an ideal. Uh, we find ourselves even worshiping people in our family, our wife, our husband, our children. We are designed for worship, but there is only one that we are designed and deserves our worship. We are created to humbly wonder and awe at the majesty of God. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking about how this permeates down into different areas of our life. If we don't worship the creation, we will worship. If we don't worship the creator, we will worship the creation. I like what John Piper says. He says, the inner essence of worship is the treasuring of God as infinitely more valuable above everything Else. To worship is when we surrender to the Creator's design for our life and the world around us. John 4 24, Jesus, we unpacked this on week one, told the woman at the well, He says, This is what God desires. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship Him, if I say, must. This is not an option. This is not uh, um, a, a something that we can, you know, get together later on. This is an essential to our understanding of who God is. That we must, and God wants us. We must worship in spirit, in the spirit, and in truth. Real worship, the kind of worship that God desires, is an essential ideal to why we were created. Real worship begins, as this verse says, with something that God's doing on the inside. It's not about a song. It's not music. It's not, a, it's not 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning or 10.30 or 11 o'clock or the Saturday night church services at 6. It is not a time set on a calendar. It's not even an activity that you do. But what the Spirit is doing on the inside, and last week we talked about how when the Spirit is working on the inside, there are different expressions of what God is doing on the inside. And one of the greatest expressions of worship is when we pour out our life onto the world and into others' lives. And today I want to kind of continue with that idea. True worship is not compartmentalized. That means we don't go, okay, time of worship is over. Time for the message, all right? Time of the message starts. Click, 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 click. Time of the message is over. We might do a song. Oh, looks like I have two more minutes of worship. And go. And check. Done. List. List accomplished. Monday, that's my time. Worship is not compartmentalized. Our spiritual life was never meant to be about a few hours or a day or morning check-in with God at a prayer time or devotion. Our life with God is never meant to be compartmentalized. We often section him off to a couple hours a week, but true worship is reflected and affects the deepest, most personal areas of our life. I want to ask you guys, what are the two most personal areas of our life. Somebody went, anybody? Who said that? You said finances? Is it because you looked at the back of the worship guide? Maybe. (laughs) Cheat sheet, flip it over. All right, what's the other one? (laughs) All right, so it's family and finances. These are absolutely the two most personal areas of our of our life. Would you guys agree? I mean, you start talking about your finances, and all of a sudden, you know what? You've just crossed the line, you know? And it's like, you know, you can insult me, but don't you insult my family. You can talk bad about me. But don't you talk bad about my wife, my kids, or something personal about this whole family, relationship, connection. There's so something real deeply personal about our finances. We often section these off even from God, too. But our money and our family are absolutely the most private and personal areas of our life. By the way, if you're broke or single, this is still for you today. Because you might be thinking, well, I don't have any money, so I'm just going to check out. And I don't have any family, I'm a single person, so I'm just going to check out. No, 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 this is is still for you. This is not just about the now, but it's also about how God wants to work in your life in the future moving forward. This is getting the idea or the perspective of what true worship looks like in every area of our life. Today I want to zero in on a psalm that I mentioned last week, and we're going to unpack it fairly exclusively this week. It's Psalms. Or Psalm 127, let's read it, and then we're going to kind of take a look at it in detail. Verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders uh, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. But he grants sleep to those he loves, or for he grants Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring, a reward for him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver, that means five or more arrows, a quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Now, we're going to kind of take a look at this multifaceted psalm here, but I've got some tools here because that verse says... uh, Unless the Lord builds the house. Now, any carpenters in the house, any carpenters, anybody here that's ever built something at all, anything at all, put your hand up if you've built something. All right, if you've ever used a hammer in your life, nice. All right, who's, I'm just curious, who's never used a hammer? (laughs) Nobody has the nerve to say there might be one or two, but most of us have had access and use a hammer, hang a picture, whatever. Well, unless the Lord builds the house, we're talking about construction today. We're talking about how God can take our lives, broken, single, or with money and a family and build something pretty amazing with it how God can take the most personal private areas of our life, and when we reflect those things and worship to God, how God takes those and builds something dynamic. So what I want to do today is I want to nail home seven ideas, all right? So I'm going to take seven nails, and I'm going to nail home seven principles out of this passage in Psalm 127, all right? Now, the first one is very simple. The first one is... It's in Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord build the house, he labors, or the word would be work, he works in vain. So I'm going to put in the first nail. Now, I don't know if you guys were here about four years ago, and I took a hammer, and I and I smashed it on the chair. Do you guys remember that? And the chair just, like, pulverized. It just, yeah, I'm going to try hard not to do that today. All right, so the first one, our money belongs to to the Lord, all of it, all right? That's the blank, all of it. And then if you're taking notes, circle again, all of it. Guys, listen, our money belongs to the Lord. This is one principle to nail home that will absolutely transform the way that you look at how God has given you stewardship of possessions in your life. Never forget that the Lord owns it all. Real worship with our finances starts with this principle in Psalm 24, 1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Who owns your finances? Who owns your money? Who owns your TV? Who owns your car? Who owns your house, your apartment, your wallet, the things in your garage, the things in your attic, the Lord owns it all. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's not your company's. It belongs to God. God claims exclusive rights to everything in the world. Now, written in an economy that was based on agriculture and uh, livestock, uh, the writer in Psalm 50 says this in verse 10, it says, every animal Of the forest is mine. Basically, that's saying every single dollar in the bank is mine, says the Lord. And the cattle on a thousand hills. That means every car, every house, every possession that you have, it belongs to the Lord. This should immediately affect how we view our money and how it's meant to be used. The good news is here's the good news is that because God owns everything, because He owns it all. He is above and greater than our economy. Amen? That he's above and greater than any financial hardship you may face. And because he owns it all, he's even greater than our government right, which tries to limit or control, or, you know, we got a cycle coming in, who knows what's going to happen this fall, and what kind of financial market or crisis might rise or fall on what's going to happen with the election, but it doesn't matter, because the Lord owns it all. Isn't that good news? See, when you understand this principle, it changes not only the way you look at your money, but the way you use your money, which is the second thing, is how we use our money is an act of worship. And, again, I'm going to rely on that verse. Again, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, that means unless we do it the Lord's way. If I can get it here. I'm not a carpenter, right? Give me a break. There we go. Unless the Lord builds it, it he will labor in vain. How we use our money is an act of worship. In this life, we trade our time for money. That's work. So our money represents our time. And it's a portion of our life. We spend eighty-five percent of our week at work. And when we get that paycheck, that check represents our time. Giving is one way we can tangibly express our worship with our hearts. This is what Jesus said in Luke twelve, thirty-two. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth can destroy. Now, guys, listen. Jesus emphasizes a life of simplicity. He emphasizes in all of his conversations about money, which is the number two most important thing or most often thing he talked about was our resources. He says, live a simple life and invest in the eternal things of the kingdom of God rather than on things that fade away. For he says, for where your treasure is, when you do this, there your heart will be also. See, how we use our money, how we spend our money, the places we go, the things we do, are a direct reflection of our heart and worship of the Lord. Now, you may not realize this, but God really cares about the rest of your money, I right? I'm from a background that, that really taught hard with a principle known as the tithe, uh, and but the problem with the principle of the tithe is that in the Old Testament there were there were three and a half tithes. That means if we were going to hammer the tithe in the New Testament, then I'd be asking you for nearly forty percent of your income because they had three tithes that were uh, throughout the year, and then they had what was called a gleaning where they rounded off their fields and they left that portion for uh, the uh, for the wanderers or the foreigners for the homeless, and and that was their way of giving to the Lord as well. So there was this sense of nearly 40% in the Old Testament that they give. In the New Testament, it's a different principle. It's not the 10%. You ready, what, you ready what it is? It's all of it. It all belongs to the Lord. Every bit of it, every penny. See, a lot of people think, well, you know, I can give, you know, 10% to here or this church, and then I can do whatever I want with the other 90%. God actually cares about the ninety percent, he actually cares about that eighty percent or that money that you, that you spend during the week. He actually cares because how we spend our money is a reflection of our worship and our heart to God. Notice verse thirty-two. It says when he ta- when he starts talking about our devotion and our dollars, he says this right at the top. Jesus says, "Do not be afraid, guys. This is an issue." of trust. And I want you to, this is the third thing, and then we're going to go on to the family issue, and that is this, trusting God with our money is an act of worship. It's not just how we spend, but it's also trusting Him. Psalm 127b says, unless the Lord watches over the city, our finances, the guards, the banks, stand watch in vain. Unless the Lord is involved in this issue of trust with us, then even our savings are in vain. Psalm 127 asks this very simple question. Are you working? Are you saving in vain? Because where is your trust? A lot of us, we struggle with the issue of talking about our finances. And, you know, we don't talk about money hardly ever here. Uh, unless we, we preach through the Bible. When the Bible talks about it, we talk about it. But we don't have series on money and stuff like that. But, but you know, when, we, when it is talked about, which is something God cares about because you care about it, and because you care about it, He cares about it. Uh, but when we talk about it, it becomes this kind of real personal issue. And I think it goes right back to this. It's because ultimately you're not trusting God with that area of your life. And you've got such a grip on it. You've got your hands, your, your knuckles are white around that that checkbook or that, that wallet or that, you know, and you're just, man, no, this is mine. God, you can have my heart, but I got my money. You know, Jesus says, you know, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is because that represents a large part of the sacrifice of your life. See, when we trust God with our money, it's an act of worship. It's saying this, it's trusting his plan and design for our finances. We're not going to go into this today, but in 1 Corinthians 16 and in 2 Corinthians 8, it says this about our finances. It says that we are to be generous. We are to give regularly. It is to be planned. It is to be proportional. It is to be sacrificial, and it is to be cheerful. This is what I have to trust God on, and this is what God has called you to trust Him on. Another thing about trusting, it's placing our security in the Lord. You see, again, some of you guys, you've got your security in a 401k or in a bank or in that paycheck. The average, something like 60% of America lives paycheck to paycheck. So if you don't have savings, welcome to the club. That's pretty much everybody in the room. We're all working towards that. And so we think, man, if we could just do that, if we could just get this, if I could just get this at work or this job, man. Guys, your security has got to be found in the Lord. Unless. The Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. I like Matthew 6, 24. Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And, you know, there's a lot of people that struggle deeply with their relationship with God over this very issue. And you don't have to be wealthy to struggle with this. In fact, most people who have no money are the people who struggle with this the most because they're so envious and they're so uh, jealous and they're so angry because they don't trust the Lord with this area that they despise others who seem to have more than them. Here's the third area of trust. It's trusting in what he says about generosity here and to bless others. Guys, when we give, by the way, giving is talked more in the Bible in From Genesis to Revelation, it's talked more about than faith, hope, prayer, and even love. That's because, again, 85% of our life is committed and devoted to this part of our area. And God says, if I have this and you're trusting this, I know I have you. And guys, I want to challenge you. This is about believing that when we give, it reaches lives that we may never even see. You know some of you you know we support mission work around the world and some of you guys are part of that you give to missions or you you uh, you give to individually to a mission support someone that you enjoy you know you may never walk in you know your feet may never touch the ground in the Congo in Africa but we support the amethyst uh, amethyst and and Andrew Roth uh, and you know what we know that God is working in them and using them and and you know when we give we are we are confident and assured that what is happening is something that we may never see. It's the generosity principle that sometimes you'll see it and sometimes you won't. You've got to trust this area to the Lord. You see, trusting God is an act of worship. See, when we give, we worship by saying this. This is what we're saying. We're saying, God, I trust you as my shepherd to supply my needs and through me the needs of others. It's saying, God, I resist the pressure to hoard and to hold it for myself. But instead, I will place my treasure in an eternal investment of the kingdom. With this, I declare my treasure is in heaven and my heart belongs to God alone. So that third nail was all about trusting the Lord with our finances and how this is an act of worship. All right, so now I wanna transition into the second most personal part of our life and that is our family. And it's interesting, family is one of those issues that is very conflicted for a lot of people because some of you have had a, Great family, but you know, sixty percent of people come from a very dysfunctional family, and that's with a very loose definition of dysfunctional. And I w- I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but I would say probably the majority of us were raised in a somewhat dysfunctional home. Now we've learned to accept, love, or forgive our family and our parents or our siblings for certain things, but you know what? Uh, family can be a very difficult thing to talk about because it's such a personal issue of pain. Uh, There's issues of the past, things that are going on right now that are just unpleasant. But this is what the Lord says. Back to 127, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Now, this is a big principle. We're talking about you as a parent. We're talking about you as future parents. We're talking about you as sons and daughters of somebody. And that is, this is the next principle, the next The fourth nail is, guys, love is not enough. Some of you guys, you have a Beatles approach to family. The philosophy of parenting is all you need is love. Love. All you need is love. You know, and you think, that's all I need to do. If I just love my kids, we'll be fine. But, guys, listen, it seems simple, but I know parents who love their children amazingly, but their kids are self-destructing. And I've known parents that in loving their kids have actually hurt their kids because love is not enough. In fact, the Bible explains it this way. It says that love is powerful, and you need the heart of God in that family and in that relationship, in your marriage and with your kids, but you also need the mind of God. You see, have you set about to learn God's way to build your family And to have the Lord build the house? Or are you still trying to just love and be and do your best and just try? Guys, listen. Unless the Lord builds the house, this is not about love. This is unless we do it the Lord's way. Unless he constructs the the foundation of our home, we labor in vain. Some of you guys know what it means to labor in vain. You know, your kids have grown up and they moved out or they're near the end and you're like, man, where did I, (laughs) every parent feels like this. I'm not singling anybody out. Where did I go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Every parent at some point says, I've broken my children. I've ruined them. I've done something, you know, I've messed up somewhere along the way. Maybe you have, you know, but it doesn't matter because the Lord is gracious and good and it's not too late for you or your child. But a lot of times, uh, if we don't just kind of, get back into the mind of God, we think, well, I'm just going to love them. I'm just going to, you're going to love them all the way to self-destruction. It becomes an enabling issue. See, just a thought, almost all of the passages and instruction in the Bible for kids and for family are directed towards men. So I'm going to talk to men for just a second, okay? Think about this. Almost every passage about family and parenting is directed to you, Dad. Is directed to you, future fathers, and to you, men. Men, you have been called to take the is, But most men have left it to the women in their life. They've left it to their wives. They've left it to the mom. You know, they've left it to uh, a sibling. They've left it to somebody. Men, are you investing in... In knowing what God wants to build, many men show little to no initiative when it comes to the children. I thank God, man, I thank God for women who don't give up on their kids, aren't you? You know, I'm a direct result of a mother that took me to church, and I'm a direct result of a mother who became a Christian because her mother never gave up on her, even though my mom ran from God her entire life until she was about 45, and then her mother never never gave up, never gave up. She became a follower of Christ. And then because of my mother's influence in my life and taking us to church, I got grounded in who I am in Christ. I'm thankful for women who work hard to relay God's building plans. But men, it's time to roll up your sleeves and to get the hammer and to get to work. You know, you read up and you prepare for a job, but your family is on autopilot. And if you showed the same initiative as you do at your family, you'd be fired. Most guys feel like they're good dads if they just provide food and shelter. (laughs) Well, possums do that. Is that the bar you set yourself for? Man, your family is your most... Important and first responsibility before God. Your most important job. It's what you will be held accountable for before our Father in heaven. It is your most important mission field and it is your greatest act of worship. I'm challenging you, man. Love is not enough. Food and shelter is not enough. Mom, just. Pouring love and love and love and love is not enough. Moms are the most gracious, mercy-filled people on the planet. It's not enough unless the Lord builds the house. You labor in vain. So here's the next thing I want to nail home, and that is this. And that is our primary responsibility is to raise worshipers to the Lord God. Our primary responsibility as family is to raise worshipers in our home. It says this, verse 127, verse 3 it says, Children are a heritage. If I say heritage, what that means is inheritance. It says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. See, the word heritage means inheritance it means to pass on or to leave behind what we have is what we are to pass on it's what we leave behind he says man the greatest thing that you can give your child is what you have and what you leave behind you got to ask what are you leaving behind children are what we leave behind that's that's our heritage that's our inheritance you know there's this is our plan kids Young adults, parents, this is our plan. This is my plan. And I know it sounds morbid. I plan on dying before my kids. Is that your plan, mom, dad? Anybody, that's your plan? Raise that hand if that's your plan. All right. Pretty much all of us, and as morbid as that sounds, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. But that's our plan because we want to leave behind our inheritance, our heritage. The greatest thing that will ever reflect our life is our children, is those that we leave behind. Children are what we leave to the world as an inheritance, to lead future generations to the Lord. Our embracing of this could very well determine the very future Of mankind. You realize this. People, the most important task we have is to teach our children, the next generation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. After Moses hands out the word of the Lord to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, he gathers everybody together to read it. He reads it out loud, and as he has the entire group there, as many of the elders and men and women that can hear his voice, this is what he says. He says this in Deuteronomy 6 when he says, These, what I've read to you, are the commands, declares the laws laws of the Lord your God, directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. Now check this out. So that you, your children, And their children after them may fear the Lord your God. And then verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. By the way, that's known as the Shema that's normally sung. You want to hear it sung? I sing it in Discover Living Living the Way. Shema, Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Eloheinu. Oh, hear, o Israel, the Lord our God is one. And when they gathered together, that was the, one of the greatest declarations that they sang together. He says, hear, o Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then they give what Jesus says is the greatest command in all the Bible, that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is about real worship. He says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. That means, I mean, he's talking to everybody. He's not just talking to parents. Some of you guys don't have kids here. This is for you too, because this next part is for everybody. He says this impress them on your children. That means teach them, model them through words, through actions. He says, everybody in this room, guys, if you're not in this room, you're too old for kid venture. All right? There are adults in there that are teaching, but if you're in here, that means you're too old for kid venture. This is for you. God is calling you to impress on, to the kids of our church, of this generation, the commands of the Lord, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How to be a true worshiper. He says, impress him on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down, and when you get up. He says, man, this is not compartmentalized to Sunday. He says, man, this this is about how you live. This is about walking with those kids every day. This is about, man, when you're getting up, when you're going to bed, when you're walking, when you're fishing, when you're working, when you're sitting around the house, man, this is all about impressing the heart and a heart of worship onto your kids daily, all the time, infused with your life. He says, tie them as symbols on your hands. That means how you live your actions, and bind them on your foreheads. That's how you think. That's how you view the world. And he says, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. He says, goes back to that psalm, God building this house. God is building this house. These are the building plans. This is what God has for us. Unless the Lord builds this house, we labor in vain. Now, church and and parents don't have kids the same amount of time. Would you agree? There's 52 weeks in a year. How often do you parents and siblings get to see your kids over us? Well, take a look at this video. This will tell you.
0: There are 52 weeks in a year. That means that there are 52 weekends that a person could possibly come to church. 52 weeks that a child could come to experience children's ministry at your church. But we know that with vacations, sickness, travel for sports, a perfect attendance record at church is not particularly realistic. According to research by Reggie Joyner, a child in a family that normally attends church is attending approximately 40 weekends a year, 40 hours that a children's ministry has to lead and foster the spiritual direction of your child, 40 hours a year. That's it. However, a parent or legal guardian of that same child has approximately 3,000 hours with which to teach, communicate, and lead. Not 40, 3,000. So who should be in charge of our children's spiritual formation? Deuteronomy 6 says it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Your children's ministry has 40 hours. You have 3,000. 3,000 hours to lead and foster the spiritual direction of your child. So is it possible that what happens at home is more important than what happens at church?
1: Now, you will always, family, have more influence than a pastor, than a church, than a Sunday school teacher, than a youth pastor. A lot of parents think, man, I just need to get my kid to church. I just need to get him to youth group, man. These are going crazy. You know what? When I was a youth pastor, I always felt like I was putting a Band-Aid on a hemorrhage. The families were just gushing blood. And I was like, here's a a SpongeBob Band-Aid for you. You know, and and it was like, it might have helped just make him feel confident, but they were going back home where they were just gushing blood. Guys, listen, we can't fix your family. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. See, this is vital. See, I like to describe it this way, is the church is the air war. Man, we're just dropping bombs, right? We're just like, man, boom, boom, God wants you Reach out, stand out, stand up, be bold, be strong, you're forgiven God loves you boom 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 right we're just dropping bombs. it's an air war with us but guys if you've ever if you know if you know war, the battles only won on the ground it's only when the foot soldiers hit that ground when they run that beach or when they move into that uh, into that territory is the battle lost or won church is the air war family, you are the battleground you are the foot war. You are the ground war. You are where the real war is taking place. We are just challenging you and giving you support, but it's time, mom and dad, brother and sister, you've got siblings, you've got younger brothers, you've got older brothers and sisters that need you to roll up your sleeve and be ready to impress on them what it means to be a true worshiper of God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can, you know, I will never be able to take the place of your hands and your feet. See, the home is the place where kids will see the gospel lived out. C.J. Mahaney, author, says this, effective teaching involves explaining to our children what they are already observing in our lives by example. See, our kids are going to live out more so what we live out than what we say. And that's the reality of family. I mean, you guys know that for sure. I used to have a parent before she was a follower of Jesus, and she might have even said this after she was a follower of Jesus. She would say, you know, I'd say she'd ask me to do something, and I'd say, but why should I do it? She'd say, number one, because I'm the mom, all right? And then she wouldn't do it, and she'd go, you do what I say, not what I do, all right? i was say, like, you ever have a parent tell you that? Do as I say, not as I do, And why do I do it? Because I tell you, and I'm a mom. And they used to just frustrate me. It's like, man, that's not enough. You know, but sometimes parents, we get into autopilot mode too. And we just, we got to realize, man, we are the foot soldiers in our family's life. Genesis, the very first people to hear about the word of God were Adam and Eve's children. The first to be reached. The first to ever have a heritage given to them, and they still are the first. Our children, they're the first ones that we must keep in mind when it comes to the kingdom of God. If we do not do this effectively, the inheritance of God can skip a generation, and we're seeing it right now. We're seeing right now, for the first time in a generation, we have about 80% of young adults and teenagers who have never been to church once. Guys, listen, once. They're what's known as the non's. That means in past generations, it was people who fell out of church, who backslid out of church, who ha- had something to go back to as they got old and God began to work in their heart. And maybe they went to church as a kid, they, went, they drifted away, and then they had a child, and they're like, man, it's time to get back into church, so they get back in church. And all of a sudden, we're like, uh, you know, this is what I need to get to. But we have a new generation where the parents never took them. 80% have never been to church one time in the United States. So we have this non-generation. They don't see the point. They don't have anything that draws them back and leads them back. We are in a point right now where we must get back to building the house on the Lord. We must prioritize relationships in our home. Proverbs 22, six says, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. So here's a, The uh, sixth, one, two, three, four, five, the sixth nail that I want to drive home, and that is family grows in the garden of church and home. Grows in the garden of church and home. Psalm 127 says uh, this passage, uh, we read it, but you guys need to realize it was written and read to a community of people that gathered together. It was sung. This is a song. It was sung together in a community and lived out together. In fact, most parenting passes are addressed to the community, not just to the parents. God grows the family in the gardens of the home and the church. If their core community is school or an athletic club, just look at that place or that community and you'll see what kind of child or what kind of person, your young person, your adult, your child will be in five years? If their core community is here, you can do the same. And this is what they're going to be like in about five years. So the question is, who do your children walk with? I like this passage in Proverbs thirteen twenty It says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with the fools and you will get in trouble. You want to see the future? of your family, take a look at their boyfriend. Take a look at their girlfriend. Take a look at their best friends. Take a look at the people they're going out with this weekend. You want to see who your kids are going to be? Just take a look at their friends. You're like, well, I don't want to involve myself in their friends. I just just want to love them. Love is not enough. Heart of God is important. Mind of God is just as important. We must love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything that we have, man, we're surrendering it to the Lord. Guys, if your kids drop out of church and college, which by the way, 86% of kids that graduate from high school never go back to church ever again. You realize that? That's a problem, guys. That's a serious problem. And they didn't drop out of church at college. They dropped out of church mentally in sixth grade. I am so thankful for those that have imparted to our children in KidVenture. We started this church when our girls were one and three, okay? So this is the only church my girls have ever known, really. And some of you were part of my girls' Sunday school classes, as they grew up over the over the years, uh, Noelle is 17 now, and Summer is is a, a 15. And you know where they're at right now? They're teaching in Kid Venture. They're leading in worship and doing their best to impart into a generation of kids what you imparted into their life. And you know what they need? They need some adults over there helping them too. But I'm so thankful. I am. thankful I mean, I thank God that somebody said, yes, I'll give a Sunday a month to impart into this generation. And because of you, my kids are living for Jesus. And I'm so thankful that as teenagers, they have young adults that are taking them under their wing and taking them to coffee and to lunch and having Bible studies and playing volleyball with them. And hey, I'm so thankful because of you. They're serving Jesus, and I know they're not going to be part of that 86% that when they graduate from high school, they're not going to be drifting off and following whatever, you know, whatever direction their heart leads them because, by the way, our heart is wicked. It leads us in very bad places, but I'm thankful that they're focusing on what God has for them and that they're, it's displayed in our youth group right now through some of you. I can't help but thank you for that so thankful. We must prioritize our relationships in church. This is not a matter of intention. This is a matter of calendar. We cannot say, well, I mean to do that. I want to do that. That's my plan to do that. No, 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 no. It's a matter of calendar. You know, you mean it when you, when you make it an issue of your time and you stick to it and you do it. Here's the last one. Psalm 127 verse 4. It says, like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior are children born in one's youth, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. By the way, this is not saying that you have to have a big family, though there's some wonderful blessings in having a big family. Um, there is no right number for family. Some uh, some of you have one child, some of you have many children, seven, eight, or more. My grandma had seventeen siblings right? And you know, there's no number on what the number is for a family. And actually, some of you, your kids are natural, uh, biological kids. Some of you, your kids are adopted. Some of you, your children are foster kids. Some of you, you don't have children, but you're mentoring a young person or a teenager or a child. It's it's the kids in your Sunday school class. It's the kids in your neighborhood that come over, and you become like the neighborhood mom or the neighborhood dad. Uh, you have one or more. It doesn't matter. They These kids are a blessing in our life. Amen. Man, they are a blessing. It says, blessed are those whose quiver life is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in the court. Which, by the way, this means what do your kids say about you? That's what that means. That means when they get together with their youth leader or their youth group or their friends at school, what are they really saying about you? That's what that verse is saying because when you, when you live a life that reflects God with authenticity, not perfection, but authenticity, they talk good about you in the courtyard, you know? So this is the last one. Let's see if I can hammer this nail just right. That's a big one, so I got a big nail. Worshippers, this is the last one. Worshippers in our home, can change the world. You see, this is like arrows in the hands of a warrior Our children born in one's youth. You see, we shape, we prepare, we feather, we sharpen, and then we let go. Now, I'm gonna ask you guys to do something and, and just bear with me for just a minute. If you are a parent, could you stand up, please? If you are a parent, if you're not a parent, then just chill, all right? You may stand one day. Parents, an arrow will never fly until you release it. And I think probably the most difficult, most painful, I'm getting all teary-eyed just thinking about it, because I love my girls so much, and that day's coming sooner than we like, Nicole wrote a a check this week for her graduation, and she wrote graduation in the memo, and it shook her to her core. I was like, this is really happening. There's nothing more scary, more painful, more heart-wrenching than to release that arrow. But (laughs) the only reason you were given them was to let them go so that in that short season that we have them, we can raise them as people who become worshipers of God who become sharp, anointed, powerful people who will change the world once we let go. We are designed to release. Parents ask, say, stand up for a minute. Well, why did God give me these kids? Well, the purpose was to steward them and to lead them to be worshipers of God and then to let go. We are to launch them, send them with God's inheritance to do the same in their family. How many of you guys raise your hand if you've already had to release one or two? Is that hard? It's hard, and it's probably still hard. It never stops being hard, does it? I want to pray just for you real quick. Father, I pray for these parents. God, we love our children so much, so, so much. Our heart breaks for them so deeply every day. It's hard to express the kind of love that we have for our children, Lord. And it's maybe not even something their children can understand until maybe they have one of their own. But, God, we just pray that you would help us to worship you with our family by entrusting our children to you and to let them go. God, help us to release them at the time that is appropriate, but until then, Lord, to train them to be worshipers. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. You see, some of you guys, you're very overprotective parents. You're like, you know what? I don't want him to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything. You protect him emotionally, you, you protect him physically. Uh, Reggie Joyner says this uh, We're fine if our children never climb a mountain as long as it guarantees they never get hurt. But what if your children were made for the mountains? We prepare our children through missions through outreach, through student leadership, discipleship groups, through serving with them, encouraging them, and modeling them uh, to them what it means to follow and serve after Jesus. See, our best release will be our life. How do you grade success with your kids? And this is the biggest question I want to ask you because some of you, you grade success with as long as they have a good career, as long as they make a lot of money, as long as they get married to a decent person, as long as I get grandkids. Maybe if they're great at sports, I'll be happy. As long as they're smart, I'll be happy. That should not be how we grade success. We should be grading success by this, that we prepared them to be true worshipers and launch them into all that God has for them in this life. That is our mission. And There's nothing wrong with the other things, but they cannot ever, ever, ever be the main thing to what God has called us as family to worship God with. Okay, you hear this today, and you say, man, I want to worship God with my money, and I want to worship God with my family, And I want God to get all the fame and the glory, but it's hard. How many of you guys, man, it's hard. It's hard to trust God. It's hard to do this. It means a lot of change for some of you. And here's the final thought, and it's this thought right here, is that God knows that you need help with this. That's why the verse says, unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. See, this is something the Lord can do and Lord wants to do in you. Here's the point. The Lord himself is your strength. He himself is the builder. As we humbly submit our life to the master builder, he says this, if we will nail home the essentials, and if we help them to become worshipers of God, you know what the world will see? They'll see Jesus. They'll see Jesus in your family. They'll see Jesus in your young person. They'll see those nails that you drive home will be the nails of Jesus Christ that they see on a cross as they live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you did your part, the world will see Jesus. He will be worshiped. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That's our plan with our finances, with our family, to bring him fame and glory. That is what true worship is in this area of our life. I want to pray for you right now. Some of you guys are here and you're, man, you're, you, you, you've, you've messed up. You've messed up with your family. You've messed up as a parent. You've messed up as a son or a daughter. But you know what? The Lord is gracious. And he says, if you will come to the cross, you will find my grace. You'll find my forgiveness. And you can find a new start. So let's do that right now. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you have called us to reflect and model you. And God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to understand what it means to surrender our life to you and to find ourselves at the foot of the cross. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what, uh, I've I messed up this whole parenting thing and I'm worried that I might have hurt my kids, well, the Lord is able to work in your life and through your life and in your kid's life and there's forgiveness. Some of you, you're a young person, you're an adult or you're a, a kid and you're like, you know what? I, I've, I've failed in this area too. I haven't honored and reflected Lord my, the Lord in my life and maybe, maybe your parents aren't Christians and, and they're looking at you. You might be the only Jesus they ever see. Well, you know, there's grace for that and there's forgiveness for that. So let's just right now, just talk to the Lord with your own words, talk to him, say, Jesus, forgive me, forgive me, wash me clean. Go ahead and tell him with your own words, Jesus, take the good and the bad, take my successes for your glory, and take my failures for your grace. Wash me clean. Go ahead and tell him, say, Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Teach me what it means to be a true worshiper with my finances and with my money. God, I pray this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.